Hey everyone, little bit of housekeeping here. Recently, due to some logistical changes, Christopher and I have had to start recording remotely. And unfortunately, we, we experienced some technical difficulties in one of our internet service providers, causing some buffering and stuttering within our audio. Now we've tried to reduce that as much as possible, but unfortunately we weren't able to eliminate it completely. So just want to make you aware of that. Definitely appreciate your patience as we work to try to resolve the issue and get our audio back up to the professional level that we all appreciate. But without further ado, you know what time it is. So let's get at it. Red Pill. You know us, just two guys going beyond conspiracy theories, getting right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears with my co-host Christopher Dean. Prove it. Join us as we go behind enemy lines to reveal the truth about another aspect of this occult matrix as we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing. Scientism, weaponizing science against the mentally disarmed. Does science have ultimate authority on truth and reality, or is it being weaponized to constrict the thinking and dumb down the masses? We're going to talk about this and much more coming up right here on Operation Red Pill. Gentlemen, test tube babies and petri dish experiments. Welcome back to another episode of Operation Red Pill, where we take you beyond conspiracy theories right to the heart of the conspiracy itself. Now, this episode has been preheated to a laboratory defined limit. We legally can't even get no hotter. So what we need you to do is grab your notebook, a cup of coffee if that's what you're into, your lab partner if you got that handy, and sit down, cool your Bunsen burners off, and get ready for a heck of an episode on scientism. Now some might say we've got more than a graduated cylinder's worth of information to get into today, and that's good, because we're going to talk about the natural limitations of science, as well as the dumbed-down curriculum of the lower classes and the re-engineering of society by discrediting the Bible. But before we get into all of that, we got to take care of first things first. And that means introducing my co-host, Christopher Dean. <laughs> How you doing, bro? I'm good. I'm excited about this one. As you know, I've been wanting to do this episode since the dawn of time. Um, judging by the formatting of the notes... <laughs> I would agree. I think you've had this episode waiting in the wings for a while. Yeah, my bad. My bad. Oh, man, we were going through looking at the stuff. We got ready to, to record take one. I had to stop immediately because the notes were formatted off of our old standard. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We no longer use that verbiage. We retired it. Yeah. I mean, it was even under the name Truthfully Armed, wasn't it? Yeah. I was like, whoa, whoa. Who is that? We, we got rid of that. They? Right. We sold out. Who, who are them? <laughs> Somebody hacked us. Oh, man, that's funny. That's you know what, bro? What's up, man? Let's talk some science. All right, man, what you got? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is, did you ever listen to the Bill Nye and Ken Ham debate? I did. I did. Um, and I was disappointed, to say the least. I was, too. Why? 
Well, because I, I thought that, um, I thought Ken Ham was too nice. I, I could agree. He, he didn't really go for the jugular, whereas Bill Nye really seemed to come in his throat. Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. First of all, you're not going to speed past that like you didn't just say what you just said. Let's try it again. <laughs> where, where Bill Nye really seemed to attack Ken Ham. Boy, if you don't enunciate properly, <laughs> somebody on the other side of the country said, what? Uh, I'm about to go listen to that debate right now. <laughs> Man, I bet that was two master debaters. Go. <laughs> Shout this out to is, Matt T. Right. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's what I meant. That, that's what yeah, I meant. That's yeah. a great deception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are in trouble already with the police. I can tell you. Oh, the content man. moderators are going nuts over here. No pun intended. So anyway, Christopher, take over quickly before I get myself yeah. in trouble. No, so when I first heard it, I was really I was probably a little overly critical of Ken Ham. Should have answered like this, should have said this. But it was actually interesting going to the the arc encounter because he had some videos where he, he broke down and he's like, this is, you know, in my debate with Bill Nye, this is what he said. And I just didn't have the, the, the time or, you know, the verbiage or whatever to bring this point up. But this is a really good answer to some of the stuff that Bill Nye said. Really? And I, yeah. Okay. I and don't I remember like, seeing those. Yeah. I think one of them was in the, like the, uh, that lost squadron under the ice it was okay. a video that he, he specifically referenced something that went awry with his debate yeah i was spacing out about that point yeah yeah you were done you yeah. were done but given the fact that we've done that yeah you know we've re- released uh paid not spaced out but released patreon episodes going you know what we were in this conversation and this stuff just completely passed us so it made me a little bit more sympathetic to ken ham in the midst of that debate i got you but one of the contentions that bill nye had with believing in any type of religion is he thought that it um halted or slowed the ability to grow technologically or scientifically okay so he was like you need to let this stuff go it's not just innocent thoughts like you're really hampering the 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 progress of the human race by believing in this which is kind of predicated on this idea that that science and faith slash religion are juxtaposed ideas that cannot occupy the same field and both flourish, you know, successfully. They both can't right. thrive in the same space, which mm-hmm. I think is a bold-faced lie. Oh, it absolutely is. Well, why do you say so? Well, for one, um, Jay Warner Wallace explains in his book, Person of Interest, that a majority of people that have actually won a Nobel Prize believe in, in a God and a higher power, have some type of religious framework for their thinking. And I was like, well, that's interesting to, to really appreciate that though. You have to, I had to actually look up exactly what a Nobel prize was. Cause I didn't know. Okay. What is it? So the Nobel prizes, because there's multiple ones are actually five separate prizes. Uh, according to, uh, Alfred Nobel's will from about 1895, they're awarded to those who during the preceding year have conferred the greatest benefit to humankind. And they're actually given or they're awarded in, in different fields. One in physics, one in chemistry, one in physiology or medicine, one in literature, and one in peace. I didn't know that. 
That's interesting. I didn't either. Yeah. I actually thought it was one prize that was just given because of work in different fields. I didn't know it was actually five different prizes. Yeah, I didn't either. And I always thought it was like the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, because that's the only one that you hear like the little uh, specification on. Right. Yeah, but no, physics, chemistry, physiology, or medicine, literature, and peace. So if most of the people that have won these had a religious view, I think this proves that that Bill Nye was wrong. I would agree. Not to mention the fact that I, I believe, a lot, you know, a lot of these people, they really stand on the idea that physics is all there is. And if that's the case, I believe it was Sir Isaac Newton, who's, you know, the real contributor to Newtonian physics, thus mm-hmm. it bears his namesake. Uh, <laughs> he was, as, as far as I understand it, a believer in at least the supernatural. He mm-hmm. believed in more than just physics alone. Right. So it's kind of wild that people who, I don't want to say are drawn to that field, but people who really stand on or advocate from a position of physics alone are doing so by a scientific discipline discovered by a person that didn't even believe that. Right. It doesn't make any sense. No. And the issue that I have with it is it's not... It's not just wrong, but it's actually inverted. What do you mean? Well, science is the one that has limitations. Mm. Now, there might be a lot of listeners that are all upset. Uh, yeah, I heard it across <laughs> pop verse. Man, it was like, poof, poof, poof. Hayes was popping. <laughs> and it's funny. I was, uh, you know, I've been working on this. or I wanted to do the show for a long time, but it was just a couple days ago. That I think the Holy Spirit gave me this sweet analogy. So I was trying to brush up on the show notes, you know, make sure everything looked good and it was covering everything. And I was really thinking that the limitations of science are are very similar to the limitations of law. Okay, explain. Okay, so in law, in order to determine, you know, guilt or innocence, the the judge or the jury or whoever is making the the claim, they're limited to the evidence that's presented. Okay. Not to mi- not to mention the particular requirements that that evidence has to meet in order to be admissible in court. You know, it couldn't be stolen. You know, you, oh, whatever the list is, there there has to be evidence, and it has to be able to be presented at court. So even if there's no evidence available to present in court, doesn't necessarily represent the events that actually happened. It just means that there's nothing that the court can do about it because there's no evidence. So I think Samuel Jackson probably embodied that point uh, or put it a little bit better when he said the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. Right. Right. Like those little flip, you know, those little Chrissy Yamaguchi things. (laughs) Yeah. They just flipped those bad boys. I don't have the bandwidth (laughs) to handle a back to back (laughs) Sam Jackson, Christy (laughs) (laughs) analogy. My brain just like, no, we can't do that. <laughs> you just about short circuited. <laughs> yeah, I jumped from Samuel Jackson to Kevin Hart <laughs> real quick. Oh, you know, man. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, so no, it was like, Don I, Cheadle. But no, go ahead. Okay. I could steal your backpack, right? Mm hmm. And you could try to take me to court. But if you don't have any evidence, the, the court. The court can't act, but that doesn't mean the backpack wasn't, in fact, stolen. Right. It just can't be proven. It's like what Denzel Washington said in Training Day. It's not what you know. It's what you can prove. Exactly. 
So based on the laws of the presiding government, the verdict is limited to the available evidence or the legally permissible evidence. And I think science functions very much the same way. It can only prove or disprove an idea based on the evidence that's available and permissible by the laws of physics. It has absolutely zero jurisdiction outside of the authority, sorry, jurisdiction or authority to address anything that may be outside of those laws of physics. Interesting. Does that does I, that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Do you think it walks? Yeah, because I, I think it's important. Right nowadays, science is oftentimes presented as the 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 harbinger of truth, like the only way we can discern. Ironically, like absolute truth, even though most people also don't adhere to an absolute truth framework. We mm-hmm. often hear you know subjective truth or my truth, your truth, etc. Oh, yes. uh, which is a whole oh, issue in and of itself. But science right. is often marketed as though it is the only tool possible of discerning all truth. And the ironic thing about that claim is that claim is not scientific. Right. Based on the scientific method, you can't test and repeat that. You'd have to test all claims in existence, plus ones in the future. Mm-hmm. And based on our experience as human beings, we know that there are things that are real that science can't speak to. Yeah. Like science can't tell us why we love. Right. It can't tell us why looking at the sunrise or the sunset, why I think it's beautiful. You get what I'm saying? Science can't tell us the oughtness of life, like things we ought to do. Science can't really speak to morality. And we know there's a moral code embedded in the fabric of humanity. In fact, in the fabric of our entire existence. Yeah. These are limitations of science. And I think a grave disservice is being done to science as a whole when it's presented as the multi-tool of life. Like we can get everything we need from science alone. And the reality is you can't. No, you can't at all. And if you could, it, it would really cheapen the human experience. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's okay. Yeah, it would cheapen the experience because there's so much that we experience that's not scientifically provable. Exactly. And I think it's it's weird because one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode is because I it's I'm not sure if it's a new idea because I've not vetted like all of human history to see how many times this idea has come up, but it definitely seems to be a cultivated idea for our time for our class even Hmm. because go ahead i was gonna say i i could see that especially in a a culture that has not only been inundated with but actually very open and accepting of the idea of evolutionism as a whole but then some very particular aspects or or types of evolution okay and if we're talking things like scientific naturalism or, or things of that elk We've bought into not just undirected change and, and things developing by the laws of quote unquote physics, but then we further develop that and refine that idea into other philosophic ideologies that we live off of. So getting right. to the getting comfortable with the idea that science is everything, it's kind of a natural outworking of the premise that there was no creator to begin with. And so the you came into existence by natural means 
by the laws of physics. Right. If the laws of physics become our creator, then they also would seem to serve as the entity that could tell us how we ought to live. It would make sense. Right? The only problem is that's a bold-faced lie. Right, right. The laws of physics cannot produce the laws of physics. They can't create themselves. Right. So physics can't legally be in the position of a creator. I've not heard it broke down like that. All right, so we're done with this one. We we can go on another one. (laughs) The shortest episode ever. All right. (laughs) But no, so one of the things that I wanted to do in this episode is kind of go through a little bit of history, but just other cultures and superpowers of the world and show that this whole separation of science and religion is, has never been uh, a held ideology for any superpower in human history. Really? Like it's just, it's a modern thing. It's part of our, our new flung uh, conventional wisdom of the modern era. Well, like I said, I haven't done all the research to see if there's any like lesser cultures or places that this idea has like tried to peak, you know, stick its head up. Yeah. But as far as like global powers or world powers, no. Fascinating. Yeah. All right, man, let's go, man. What'd you, what'd you find out? Okay. Well, the first one I just wanted to point out was the, the great pyramid of Giza. Okay. This, this is the last standing, um, wonder of the world, right? Because there's seven and all the other ones are gone. The ancient, seven ancient wonders of the world. Okay. And this is the, the only remaining? This is the only remaining one. Okay. But I mean, experts have devoted their lives to studying this thing. How were they able to build it? Who built it? Why'd they build it? How'd they have the capacity to build it? Because we would have trouble. I mean, if it would even be possible to put this thing together today with modern technology and yeah. this ancient co- culture was able to do it. I believe they said we couldn't do it. We still okay, we couldn't out. do it. I don't think we have the equipment to move it. And the level of precision that it was built with, especially um, trying to do it based on how they did it, we couldn't do it. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy. But the the Egyptians were not an a-religious people. We got to find out what that actual term is. What? I don't know if it's religious or irreligious or non-religious. Well, if you put an A, you can just say a-religious and claim that you're right. All right, fine. We'll go with that. I'm sure people are Non-religious has got to be a term, though, right? I would think. Is it it stupid to say, then, that that they were not non-religious? Would it make more sense to just be like they were a religious culture? Yeah, we'll go with that for now. <laughs> that, that seems appropriate. Yeah, and I mean, we've hit the Egyptians or Egyptian mythology, you know, in several different places in our uh, podcast before. Mm-hmm. You know, Isis, Horus, Osiris, that whole thing, paganism framework. So they're clearly a religious people, but they are also exceeding in technological advancements. Functioning as a superpower of the ancient world. Right. That entire civilization is built off the idea of a pharaoh. And the pharaoh is a sun god and he commands worship. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So there's no way there, (laughs) no one is telling pharaoh, you know what? You're not a god. This whole deal. Well, well, there was, (laughs) there was was someone who said it. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, but but he crushed him. Right. Just to prove that his arms were too short to hotbox with the real guy. <laughs> this is true. But everybody else was in agreement saying, ah, yes, Pharaoh, we submit, we bow. Right. <clears throat> but it's crazy. Are you aware of some of the, like, fine-tuning or the comparisons to, like, the size of the earth in the Great Pyramid? No. So I found some interesting information. There is a video that Chuck Missler does on it that'll just turn your brain inside out. Yeah, that won't take long. That'll appear about 20 seconds into it. <laughs> yeah, but I did find some some other interesting things. So I guess that on a single inscribed circle having a diameter of 365.242 feet inside the pyramid's elevation, it actually echoes the Earth's tropical year, which is 365.242 days. Okay. There's no way that's an accident. No, that's wild. First off, Most I didn't even people- know what a tropical year was. <laughs> Well, and most people don't know that it's even 365 and a fourth days. Right. If you want to add that, you know. Exactly. But to 2.242, that, that's crazy precision for a religious group of people. Now, this other one I thought was um, was real interesting. I have a picture here. So mm-hmm. this will be, I can put it on uh, Instagram, but it'll also be in our, our Patreon. But it shows how... Um, the moon and earth actual um, proportions are measured out perfectly with the moon. So if the base of the pyramid runs the like, um, and this is based off of a, a round earth model. So we've right. got to take it with a grain of salt. But if the, if the top of the pyramid would um, in plain geometry, just looking at these, the top of the pyramid would hit the very center of the moon and mm-hmm. then the base of the pyramid actually touches the, uh, what is it, perfect diameter of the earth. So those three points measures the exact size of the earth and the moon based on the proportions of the pyramid. And we're not saying the pyramid is that big, but it's a scaled model that accurate, right. accurately represents this geometric triangle. Which again, you, right. you have to look at the picture to kind of get a sense of what we're talking about. Right. But the point of it is just to show their their technological accuracy, because apparently to specific or according to specific measurements by NASA, it's ninety nine point nine six percent accurate to the actual size of those bodies. Which you'd have to wonder to, to how scale. do some people living in the desert, you know, come up with this level of precision? Mm hmm. Because it's, it's interesting because, you know, they say that the pyramids are even lined up with celestial bodies. Now that I've heard, like the right. the constellations like Orion and, and I think the belt of Orion. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then some people say that it's on a ley line too. Well, all that kind of makes sense. And even though it would be incredibly difficult, I can see how you can look up at constellations in the sky and build structures in a, alignment to things that are over top of you, right? Yeah. Like, it's impressive, but it doesn't seem impossible to take the next step and be able to know the actual proportions of the Earth and the moon and build this structure to to scale those sizes is incredible. Especially I don't even know if how you, you haven't do that. been there. Right. I, I, would, I would be highly curious how were they able to do that. I'm, me, personally, I mean, okay, some people probably scoff at this. Um but 
taking the cosmic framework and the cosmic perspective of history, if everything stopped with the flood, right, and reset, mm-hmm. and then we come to the Tower of Babel, where things reset again with the the changing of the language and disbursement of people, the the brain trust of the the human population was bottlenecked right because we couldn't communicate things and we got we got more basic problems just like survival at that point when everything's been broken up how did that knowledge transmit would be my question uh, supernatural means that's where i would go to yeah like you know and with especially with these cultures being religious particularly particularly uh the the egyptians you know are we talking that there was fallen angel revelation scientific revelation that was given i wouldn't put that past them but people who kind of adhere to this physics only perspective of the world would kind of scoff at that idea but Mm -hmm. i think that it's a strong possibility that that could be a, a real contender for how they knew some of these things that mankind just I don't think historically knew at that point. I would agree. I, I would say based off of, um, you know, based off of the Bible and this, even some other stuff that we're going to get into today, I would absolutely not put it past celestial beings to share advancements in technology with, with people that are willing to align with them. Exactly. It, it's, it seems like that's definitely what happens. And it's interesting. It reminds me, I haven't even thought about this movie for a while, but uh, Prince of Egypt. Did you ever see that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The DreamWorks Disney cartoon? Pixar, DreamWorks, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It Even as a, a child watching it, or however old I was when it came out, it was interesting to me that Ramses comes out and he's like, I had a dream last night and the gods gave me these plans and it was for whatever next building that he was going to assemble. And I, I remember thinking, if you're really in cahoots with them, this is this is a reality that could have happened. Like they could have got the plans for these structures by these gods, be it dreams or what have you. Okay, see, it sounds like a BS idea again to the people who buy into this this physics only framework. But I find it fascinating if you fast forward in the chronological timeline, fast forward to one of the most influential inventors of the modern age, Nikolai Tesla. Mm-hmm. And he's talked about how things were downloaded into his mind. Yep. That came from a, an, an adjacent dimension. Uh-huh. What do you do with that? <laughs> and I think he's even quoted it saying, as soon as science starts um, investigating the non-physical, the will advance in 10 years more than, you know, the past thousand or something like that. Right. That's that, a that's wild crazy. idea, man. Uh-huh. But it definitely has to pour water on this whole fire that that physics alone is all there is. Right. And by extension, science alone is able to tell us everything we need to know about life. I mean, you're right. only on case one, which is <laughs> the Egyptians, and we already have a plethora of evidence that shows mm-hmm. that not only was that a highly technologically advanced culture, 
but they also had a very developed religious component to their their cultural framework. Mm -hmm. Like these were not separated and isolated aspects of their culture. They were integrated. Absolutely, they were. And if, if anything else, they build off of one another. They don't diminish one another. Right. Don't worry. Once we get into the Western cultures, we'll fix that. <laughs> We're going to do it different than, than every other nation. Yeah. Absolutely, because they've been doing it raw. <laughs> so this one I'm excited to get into. Have you heard of the Anakathira mechanism? Okay, now, dude, you know that I've heard of it. And you know <laughs> where I've heard of it. Me. Yeah, yeah, because some geeker <laughs> decided as I was walking out of work to just be like, yo, you heard of the Anakathira mechanism? And I'm like, no. And you proceeded <laughs> to completely peel back my mind on what this whole thing was. I had never heard of it. Yeah, it's crazy. I will have to give a quick sh- shout out to Ryan Dean, Dangerous World Podcast. He beat me to it. He ha- actually has an episode on the Anakathira mechanism. Nice. That dude uncovers a lot of stuff, man. I think he just sits at home behind a computer and researches. <laughs> He's got to. Or I got one other option, but it's just way worse. That he's in uh, practicing occult magic? <laughs> I'm close to that. I'm like, either he's smoking, getting high, and talking to spirits that are telling him. I haven't figured out which one yet. <laughs> I know if Ryan was here, he'd be cracking up. I know he wouldn't find oh, it yeah. offensive. For sure. Well, he's got to be one, one, one or the other. One or the other, for sure. Yeah, I was equally um, excited and, and depressed. If that's possible. When I saw that he did the episode, I was like, oh man, I'm sitting on one. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. No, but this, uh, the Anakathira mechanism is like, is this for its time, really advanced mechanical clock almost. And the reason it's called the Anakathira mechanism is because it was found off of the coast of an Island in Greece called Anakathira. And I'm pretty sure it just means like anti is in the opposite of, Kathira. So it's not Kathira. It's Anakathira. <laughs> it helps to kind of see the image. Not for explaining it, but just to, to have an actual visual. So I might throw that up on the, the IG as well. Yeah, I think they would appreciate that. Uh, but it's this this really intricate clock that maps way more than just time. Okay. It tracks celestial movements. It tracks... Uh, Moon phases, it tracks the um, Olympics. I mean, it does a, a lot of interesting stuff, but the, the thing that's crazy about it is it was crafted 1,400 years before the first mechanical clock was ever designed. Shut up. Really? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's so this wild. is one of those things that we're like, how in the world was this thing ever designed? Because it just it definitely doesn't belong, right? So it uh, consisting of at least thirty bronze gears in a wooden container that was only the size of a shoebox. The clockwork mechanism was highly advanced for its time. By turning a hand crank, the user could move forward or backward in time. The crank made the gears move and rotate a series of dials and rings, which were the. Ins- which there are inscriptions and annotations of the Greek zodiac signs in Egyptian calendar days. It seems that the information to build such a mechanism was lost through time, perhaps because it was a specialty device or expensive to create. 
those are all naturalistic explanations. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm reading snippets from an article, if, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> but they surmise that, oh, it was just lost in time, or, or maybe it was just too expensive to make. But if we're applying that supernatural influence aspect to it, it makes a lot more sense. Okay. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So Jones, one of the guys that had been researching this Anakithera mechanism, him and his colleagues, uh, they interpreted the 3,400 Greek characters on this device. Mm-hmm. And the scholars discovered that this mechanism actually refers to an eclipse's color, size, and associated winds. Like all of this is embedded into this machine. And the Greeks believed that characteristics of an eclipse were actually rela- related to good and bad omens. Okay. So because of this, they built in um, the predictive eclipse technology in the Anakathera mechanism. This allowed the user of the mechanism to divine the future. Wow. So it, w- it was a, uh, a, a sorcery device. Oh, yeah. This was a divination device. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, but- that's wild. Yeah, so it was a divination device. It was able to track planetary movements, and it tracked the Olympics because those have a very strong religious significance. Right. That seems, this isn't again, a set. That's a tool that that merges all of these together. Right. It's a highly scientific, advanced piece of technology. By definition, it's technology. It's applied mm-hmm. scientific principle, and it's used to divine the future. Or at least attempt to. Right. Hey, That's crazy. Throw your hands up. I thought you were done with, <laughs> with the Egyptians. No, this is worse. And it says that the, the planetary motion in this mechanism was accurate to within one degree in 500 years. Dude, that's wild. That's like some, that's beyond NASA. It's crazy. I don't know what but to again, say. <laughs> But it just, I mean, it, I just wanted to drive this point home. This whole idea of the separation of science and the supernatural doesn't make any sense. Nobody has believed it before. It's never impeded technological growth before. We need to think twice about buying into this idea. Facts. So let's move forward a little bit even further. And the Nazis. <laughs> Egyptians, Greeks, and in the words of Brad Pitt, Nazis. <laughs> That's fantastic. Nazis. It's the only way but you can it, say that word. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But it's a funny jump from Egyptians, Greeks, all the way to Nazis. Not the Phoenicians, not the Scythians, not the Anglo-Saxons. Nazis. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's it's a little bit of a jump. It was, but I'm I'm on board, man. Let's roll. <laughs> okay. Well, we know that the the full society was the dark arts division of the Fourth Reich. Right. The Third, Third Reich. Reich. The Third Reich. Sorry, I really want to get into that book, The Fourth Reich. So that's why it's imprinted into my head. Yeah, yeah, it's a good book. Yeah, but yeah, okay. the Third. So. Not only were they involved in all of this occultism and magic, but they were also on the bleeding edge of technology at the time. True. They actually helped give us our lead, our technological lead. I think the United States really got its technological superiority 
from what it absorbed from Germany, particularly the Nazis. Right, through Operation Paperclip, right? Exactly. I was a dude, I was so close to saying Operation Red Pill. You said paperclip, <laughs> it was and I was like, us. is it paperclip? I think you did that one other time. <laughs> and I was like, so. we didn't do that. It, we didn't do it. It was Operation Red Pill where they did all of this <laughs> nefarious stuff. You gotta watch those guys. Oh, uh, that's funny. But yeah, so this whole like grab for technology or these experts in the field, you know, there wouldn't have been a need for Operation Paperclip if religion had really impeded the technological advancements of the Nazis. True. I mean, because a lot of our brainwashing tech that we're using today came from this group of people that merged the occult and science. And to drive this point home further, the Nazis actually stated that they got their technological ideas which led to the technological advancement of that culture from fallen angels. There you go. Now that Egypt doesn't sound that far fetched. Not at all, but it's still baffling me how the United States who intentionally absorbed those scientists and other professionals in key areas could absorb them into its, its professional framework and still try to advance this idea that science and the spiritual world are separate. Yeah. I'm like, it's this crazy. is such a bold faced lie that you almost want to punch anybody in the face that, that honestly, and when I say honestly, I mean, someone who understands these realities and still advocates for this position, not someone who just bought into this idea, but hadn't done any of the background research. Right. Right. But a person who knows this, you're like, come on, play fair. Like, this makes yeah. no sense at all. Even the it United doesn't. States. Okay, okay, okay. I, I'm i going to apologize to you if I jump ahead. Because sometimes you say <laughs> I have this okay. notion where I just smash all of the notes aside. All right? Mm-hmm. But, but even, it was just talking about the United States. If this idea is true that scientific, uh, that science and scientific discipline or technology that's produced from, from science, you know, applied science, If that Mm -hmm. is separate from the idea of religion, then why is it in one of our principal scientific agencies like NASA, whenever they do something of significance, they name it after a religious entity, Mercury, (laughs) Gemini, Apollo, like, yo, you think that was accidental? These are some of the largest scientific advancements in our culture trying to get to the moon. And here we are naming it after religious entities. Why? Mm-hmm. Makes no sense. Because um, they're actually connected. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Unless they're actually connected. Right. And anybody no. else is being, you know, played for boo-boo the fool. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned NASA because it was one of the next things I was going to bring up. NASA. And then I was going to do um, Jack Parsons. Oh, the dude from JPL? Yeah. The one who uh, spontaneously combusted. Oh, is that what happened to him? Oh, he ain't spontaneously combusted. He lit himself on fire. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was like, that sounds supernatural. Yeah, but remember, he has some connections, though, with Anton LaVey. Right. So I I don't know how he caught on fire, for real. (laughs) Right, right. No, I gotcha. Right. I'm picking up what you're throwing down. All right, cool. 
But no, uh, uh, Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard, they tried to do the um, the Babylon working. I mean, they very possibly opened up portals into other dimensions. But Jack Parsons was one of the first people to put rockets on airplanes. Are you going to push back? No, I, I was just thinking, um, trying to connect some dots in my head. Because I have okay. rockets. I know he, he did jet propulsion laboratories. But I, in my mind, the rockets originally came from Warner Von Braun. Right. Okay. If you mean there is a difference between a rocket propelled aircraft uh-huh. and a, and attaching rockets to a propeller aircraft. Well, I was just thinking where we even got rockets from. Okay. Like, so what Jack Parsons got it from. I Von think Braun? the rocket technology came from Von Braun because Von Braun okay. was, was doing the V2 rocket, which led to our missile technology as well as our rocket technology for NASA, because from the V2, they developed the Saturn V. Oh, that's another one that they attach names to. <laughs> right? Not to yeah. mention Space Shuttle, Atlantis, Columbia. Yeah. Seems like we have a, I wonder what they're doing with the, the new ones that are out right now. You mean since we forgot how to get to the moon and all that? Well, beyond that, I mean, <laughs> you know, we still have, uh, space vehicles that we're developing. And I wonder what they've named those. I would not be surprised if it carries a mythological name. I'd be surprised if it doesn't. I would too. In fact, I'd be alarmed. That'd be the one I wouldn't ride. <laughs> I'm not riding none of them, but certainly not the one that they named. Like, what if they called it the Daniel rocket? Nope. Mm-mm. I'm not getting on that one. No, you won't be able to eat for 21 days. Not only that, it's going to, they're going to shoot it to Leo. <laughs> Right, they're going to put it right into the mouth of the lion. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Go ahead, bro. <laughs> but no, so it's it's clearly this new education, and I really think it's part of the, the Prussian education system, this idea of scientific naturalism or scientism. I think it's a lie for the lay. I was going to ask you how was it part, but I see what you what you mean. Because nobody in the upper echelon even today believes this. This nonsense, but it it's pushed so hard. I think we talked about this in a um, one of our Zoom calls. How how easy it is to switch into modes of indoctrinated thinking. Mm-hmm. So much so we go, oh well, where did this come from, and where did this come from, and our minds start spooling this idea of how did it originate from nothing? Because we've already bought into evolutionary indoctrination. Right, that science is all there is, and it's the only thing that can explain the world around us. It's exactly. scary how pervasive this thing is. Yeah, yeah. And you hear it, you know, um, with all types of rhetoric. You know, this thing doesn't exist because there's not proof. Trust the science. But one that I hear a lot, especially in, in regards to, to God, you know, is, oh, if there was evidence, I'd believe, I'd believe in God. It's interesting. I mean, I've heard a couple of these. Um, but that last one is interesting because there's a, there's an embedded misunderstanding there and an implication. Okay. The implication is a specific type of evidence and the misunderstanding is that that specific type of evidence is the, is the preeminent or target evidence. So what that really means, if there's evidence, I'll believe it. Really what they're trying to say is if there's empirical evidence, I'll believe it. But empirical okay. evidence is not the only type of evidence. 
Right. It's not even always the strongest form of evidence. That's true. So if we're limiting ourselves just to that, then there is a whole plethora of other forms of evidence that we're not going to account for, which means then that the argument or us getting to the truth is going to be biased by nature. Mm -hmm. It's crazy, right? It is. One of the examples that I always go to for this is like fidelity in a relationship. Okay. A majority of human beings in the world today still look forward to getting into a relationship, right? Amen. A romantic relationship. Hallelujah. And there's no way to scientifically prove that this person loves you or that they're even faithful. For, for most of us, we don't have the ability to know this for a fact, right? Exactly. But we, we behave... And we conduct our lives in accordance to something that we actually have no scientific proof of. And we have no problem with it. I mean, some people with maybe a psychological disorder might, might have some hangups and some trust issues, but for the most part, we're like, Oh yeah, this, that's no problem that I don't have scientific proof for this thing. And I'm just going to live my life in accordance to it. Actually, we work the other way around. We don't begin to doubt that premise, the idea that the person's faithful. Until we okay. have tangible evidence. Okay. Okay. Right. That's it fair. takes the scientific evidence to prove the opposite, but for the entire time, we give them the benefit of the doubt. Or we start from the fact that there's no reason for us to conclude this if there isn't an, any form of evidence to suggest this. Okay. Which I think is fascinating. We don't do that with anything else. Right. Well, I mean, I think we do it in a lot of areas. But we don't recognize all the areas that we that we're fine with not having scientific proof. Okay, I was thinking like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. I was thinking more along the lines that most areas we don't require empirical evidence in order to move forward with action predicated on belief. I misunderstood what you said. Yeah, no, I'm in. I may not stated it the properly, but that that's where I was coming from. Okay, yeah, yeah, I think you're dead on. I think that's wild because so, basically, I would say we have faith in a lot of areas. We do. Not that it's unjustified, right? And it's not a bad thing, exactly. But now, when it comes to something very uh, painful, hurtful, or disorienting, or something very negative, we normally start with some form of empirical information. For why I believe that, mm-hmm. you know, he was beating you. No, he wasn't. I ran into a door twice, twice <laughs> in a week. Nah, nah, I can't. That evidence don't add up, bro. Well, the the black eye messed up my depth perception, which is why I fell the second time. Oh, see, I'm gonna avoid saying down the stairs. <laughs> um, That's exactly where I went to. Yeah, I'm gonna avoid it because some <laughs> people got. I don't want to say butt hurt, but. It, it upset some people, and I, I, I wouldn't be sensitive to that. For sure. I, I don't know what everybody's story is. But, you know, <laughs> taking uh, violence off the table, anything, there are a lot of things that we look at for empirical evidence when it comes to the negative, but in the positive, we don't. We, we'll start from a non-empirical position, and mm-hmm. we're just fine with it. But when it comes to God, all of a sudden that flips. We need absolute empirical information. Yeah. Usually to a higher standard than any other area of our life. Isn't that wild? <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know how he deals with it. 
I wouldn't. It's a good. It's a good thing I'm not God. Uh, yeah, it's an even better thing that I'm not, because I would start <laughs> hiding information. Oh no, 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 no! So you only want empirical? So no, we're not gonna get no philosophical. We're not gonna get any, any ideological information. You're not gonna get none of this other stuff. Just only scientific. And I would start doing it in ways that would just mess up life. God, what should I do today? You should test the day out. Go all the way through it and then figure out what happened. And then we can come up with a scientific plan at the beginning of it for what we should do later on. God, that doesn't make sense. You can't chronologically go backwards. Well, I guess that was a stupid question. Don't know how to help you today. Oh, I'd be horrible. Yeah, I can see that. But just so we're clear, what we're talking about is scientific naturalism or scientism, which is, in fact, the belief that nothing actually exists outside of what can be proven by science and or the scientific method. Okay, see, that's a problem in and of itself for me, philosophically. Okay. So that notion that you just expressed is an idea, right? Mm -hmm. Ideas lack physical measurements. They don't have mass. They don't have weight. So if it's the if it's true what that idea espouses, then it's self-refuting because that idea can't exist because it doesn't have physical uh attributes. That was the word I was looking for earlier. Right. Right? And and to that extension, neither do thoughts. Neither does the mm-hmm. mind to which thoughts are addressed. <laughs> like, this is all falling it- apart real quick. It does, and there are a lot of problems just inherent with scientism, but that's for a little bit later. All right, my bad. Before we get the brakes, go ahead. No, it's all right. It's all right. No, before we get into that, I want to talk about epistemology for a minute. I'm sorry, what? Epistemology. Your mom listens to this show, man. You don't don't be using (laughs) bad big words. Well, then you shouldn't be so difficult. (laughs) I don't know who pissed on your homology. But tell him I said stop. <laughs> I'm never going to hear that the same way. I did this whole thing and never thought anything of it. <laughs> it takes a dysfunctional dude to see that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. No, so it's not what you're thinking. It's really just a, a big word to describe the study of knowledge. Like how, how do we learn things and what things can we know? Like the extent of knowledge. Okay. And everyone uses an epistemology, whether or not you've even heard the term before. Okay. It's kind of like logic and, and some of those other things. Gotcha. And there's there's several different subcategories, but there's three basic schools of thought regarding what things can actually be known. All right. What are they? Revelationism, rationalism, and empiricism. Have you heard of these? Uh, I have not. Okay. Ha-ha, I got something new for you. All right, teach me. <laughs> well, revelationism is the belief that ultimate reality has its basis in and can be attained only by revelation of God. Okay, like God's revela- revelatory knowledge? Yeah. Okay, that one I've heard of. Okay, and I think this is one of the highest forms of epistemology. Because it actually incorporates the other two. Revelation of the God of the Bible informs us that nature and its corresponding attributes flow from the logically consistent, universally steadfast character of God almighty. Okay. 
That's wow. That's a lot. And this, it, it is a lot, but this allows us the ability to use full spectrum understanding of our world. Okay. So the in, intelligent consistency of God gives us justification for non-material abstractions like mathematics and the laws of logic, right? Okay. I'm so sorry. these non-material laws, because they flow from the non-material God and he is logical and intelligent, that's how we get these things that govern our universe. And the universal universal steadfastness of God and thus his creation allows us to trust our senses and be able to practice science to understand the ordered world around us. Because otherwise we'd have no reason to think that the world around us is even consistent to have the standard of the scientific method. I was really stuck on the idea of trusting our senses. I don't know many okay. people that deal with the opposite. They realize I can't trust my senses. Like I'm getting a little bit older and I've noticed a change in my body, right? Now this could be a little more weight related, but I am going to relegate <laughs> this to age and not weight. Uh, okay. But from time to time, my knee will give out. And okay. I've started a discourse with this knee and it goes a little something like, I don't trust you. I don't know when okay. you, you might just fall out on me. Right. So there's certain <laughs> things I can't do. I, I got to take steps a little differently. You know, I got to take other movements that I would never question because I had implicit trust in my body. This is okay. a new thing to look at your body and not fully trust it. Okay. All right. So the idea extending that further from a body part to our senses, the idea that you can or can't trust your senses is very interesting to me because I don't think okay. many people jump to the end of the pool of saying, I can't trust my senses. They're lying to me. Right. I mean, not many people say that about their emotions, even though they should. <laughs> they don't. They don't. Now there's a little thing in aeronautics. Uh, you're dealing with pilots. You heard of the term vertigo, right? Yeah. One of the things they teach pilots, especially fighter pilots is that you have to be able to, you have to learn to trust your instruments, even when your instruments seem to conflict with your internal instrumentation. Like trust the external instrument over yourself because you can be deceived. You can think you're right side up and actually be upside down, pull back the controls to think you're going to pull the nose up and climb and actually be pulling the nose down towards the ground and descending. Don't hit the throttle and go fast thinking you're about to climb like a bat out of hell and you dive like a mole upside down. That's nuts. It is. So they have to go through instrument training where they really train themselves to trust your instrument. You know, if you're flying at night and you think you've come out of a turn and maybe you're in, you know, the, what do they have inside the inner ear? I believe these little hair follicles that are floating in liquid that give us our sense of balance in the inner ear. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that could be off. That liquid can still be sloshing around and we can get dizzy or, or we can get disoriented. But you may be coming out of okay. a turn, your inner ear is not adjusted yet, or maybe there's, there's atmospheric pressure that's causing a problem with your inner ear and your sense of balance is off. And maybe you still feel like you're turning when actually you're not or vice versa. Maybe you think you're straight and level and you're actually still in a turn. And if it's at night okay. and you don't have great spatial awareness, the only thing you can do, cause you can't see the horizon, especially on a moonless night, you can't see the horizon in order to get your sense of, of uh, spatial awareness and your sense of bearing. You have to trust mm -hmm. your instruments. 
Interesting. It's a fascinating little principle because you can extrapolate that further into what if your your emotions are lying to you and you have to trust scripture. Yeah. But internally, it doesn't feel like the instruments are right because I trust myself. I trust myself more. I know Mm -hmm. if I'm right side up or upside down. No, you don't. Yes, I do. (laughs) And that's one of the things. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, Jordan Peterson touches on that a lot. Not the, not the whole instrumentation, but he's real big on, you don't know yourself. Like you think, you know, yourself. Right. Like I've been watching stuff on YouTube with optical illusions and I've been amazed how easy it is to trick the eye. Mm -hmm. And I'll swear up and down that X, Y, and Z didn't happen or X, Y, and Z did happen. They're like, no, this is a physiological phenomenon based on the limitations of the human design to where your eye can be tricked. I'm like tricked tricks are for kids. I'm a grown man. You can't trick me. (laughs) Silly rabbit. Right. And it makes me think, okay, uh, if uh, if we understand this as human beings, what does our enemy know about our limitations as human beings, the limitations of our humanity? When you've had thousands upon thousands of years to study a particular organism and you, you know inside and out its limitations, it's got to be much easier to design, bestoke traps for that creature. That's a good point. It's also very sobering, man. It is. Because if we haven't learned the lesson that we can be tricked, we swear up and down, up and down, put our life on the line. Bet our life that X, Y, and Z ain't true. Mm-hmm. And it can be 100% true. We were just getting tricked. Yeah. That's interesting. I think it's under that auspices that the Bible says, don't be deceived. But mm-hmm. it takes a measure of humility, like you were saying a moment ago. It takes humility to recognize the ways in which we can be deceived. Right. So that we're willing to fight against it. If we don't recognize our own limitations, if we're not willing to admit our own limitations, then we just set our, ourselves up for the fall. That yeah. would literally be like thinking you could beat White Tyson in a ring. That's a very stupid notion for most people. <laughs> Even on Uh a bad day for Mike Tyson. It is a stupid notion to think you're going to beat him in the ring. I'll just be able to stare him down and he won't do anything to me. He won't hit me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Boo Boo the Fool is being ushered out of the ring. A bit (laughs) catatonic. (laughs) We hope the twitching will stop. We're not sure. Mike wins again. (laughs) You know, wouldn't that be stupid? To to go Mm -hmm. at it like that? It would be. But I think we do that, dude, day in and day out when it comes to engaging our own enemy. Yeah. I think you're dead on. And I think a lot of this starts with this idea that, A, our enemy doesn't exist, and the world that our enemy operates in is a figment of the imagination. And the only thing I need to worry about is just what's right in front of me that my five senses can perceive. Right. Like, (laughs) I don't mean to beat a dead horse. But you've got my mind working. I'm thinking All right. if if our five senses are the only things necessary for us to perceive reality, then why does DARPA actually spend so much money developing weapons that go beyond our five senses? Huh. 
there's a technology out there. There's a weapon that works off of frequency modulation. And DARPA has realized that you can produce emotional states. You can replicate emotional states inside, not just a human being, but large crowds of people. Mm -hmm. If you can reproduce the emotional frequency of a certain, a certain sensation. Yeah. It's a lot like a, a tuning fork. Right. Have you seen, have you seen those presentations or whatever? On, I mean, I know what a tuning fork is. Yeah, you can take one tuning fork and then take one that resonates at the exact same frequency mm -hmm. and hold it over here. And when you ring this tuning fork, this one vibrates. That's wild. Yeah, but, see, but human beings are the same way. Well, see, somebody would say, okay, that's just physics playing itself out. The thing that I'm focusing on is it's not the fact that they tuned that DARPA tuned into a frequency and mm -hmm. and modulate that frequency it's the fact that that's that physical change results in an emotional change which is non-physical oh okay right science can't speak to that if it's based on just physics alone because our emotions aren't physical so here it is again there's a weapon being developed that's built on the recognition of a larger reality that extends beyond physics alone Huh. That's fascinating. Again, where his stuff falls <laughs> apart. I'm going to shut up. No, no, it's good. It's good stuff. But one of the one of the issues with um with atheism is they borrow the, the um what does Frank Turek say that they uh borrow capital from the Christians? Oh, I thought you were going to say they climb up in God's lap and slap him in the face. Well, I mean that happens too. Oh, but you have that's to sit not the same. to slap him in the face. Yeah, yeah. No, because they they hold to laws of logic, generally speaking. Okay. Atheism holds the laws of logic and mathematics, but within the framework of atheism, there's no explanation to why these things exist. Interesting. I got you. So they reject the idea of a of a god and the fact that we can know any of this through his revelation, but still borrow these two things. And that that's what rationalism is. So it removes the divine aspect from what we can know and appeals only to logic and rationality as exclusive ways to know something. Interesting. And I, I think you had mentioned this before is the law, you know, cause the, the laws of physics mm -hmm. or whatever can't make the laws of physics. Right. Then, then they, they can't be the, the highest authority. Right. It's, it's the same thing with mathematics and logic. Exactly. And even, and even rationalizing that something makes sense according to logic, like that's fine and dandy, but none of this can actually account for the things that we're using. Mathematics cannot prove mathematics. Logic cannot prove logic. They're just laws that are already set in place in this universe. Right. And you have to, I mean, logically, you have to appeal to something higher than them for their creation. Exactly. So I think that's where rationalism falls apart. But then you come down to empiricism. And this is, this is kind of what we're talking about. Empiricism is the belief that only things that can be known are the things that can be perceived by personal experience or the senses. So that's essentially what we've been talking about. This is just the official name of the school of thought for epistemology. Okay, I got you. So it really just lays the groundwork for the topic that we're debating today. Scientism. Right. And out the gate, like you've been saying, it's self-refuting. 
because the truth claim that science alone dictates truth is not scientifically verifiable. It's a philosophic idea. You know, dude, when we first started um, researching and, and going through materials, I think one of the first things we had to get into was philosophy, right? Uh-huh. I think I had you read a book on introduction to philosophy. You did. That I, I was going through at the time. Really great <laughs> book. Wonderful stuff. Um, but one of the things that was stated that I found, I, I've never forgotten, was the idea that philosophy was considered the queen of sciences. Yeah. It wasn't science alone. Like this was the the creme de la creme discipline that you could get into. And just to show how we've fallen as a culture, we no longer push really the study of philosophy. We've now accepted the idea that it's lesser pursuit, which would be science, is the preeminent pursuit. Right. And it doesn't make any sense at all. And in fact, oftentimes I think the real problem that we have and where we shoot ourselves in the foot is we try to use science in a way that it was never intended to be to be used. Really, we try to use it in place of philosophy. Mm -hmm. And it, it falls. It comes up short every time. Right. I hadn't thought about that. It's sad. Yeah, that we're misusing science to do something it was never intended to do. Right. But with that, the limits that we find to science, as you were saying earlier, we should be okay with that. We shouldn't be trying to push science into this unlimited space that philosophy does a much better job of occupying. Science can have limits, especially if it's, if it is focused on study of the physical world, because as scientists tell us, even the physical world has limits. There's an upper limit as far as expansion. There's a lower limit as far as smallness, Mm -hmm. right? So if we take the whole scope of physics, we understand that there's a bound, there's a boundedness to our reality and to physics. If science right. is the study of that reality, then by nature, science is going to have limits. Mm-hmm. It's not that is a great limits. point. Like, right. I, I got to stop talking. No, that's good. That's good. There's a top. There's a bottom. There was a beginning. There, there will be an end. Exactly. Yeah, that is a great point. You know, this whole universe thing, that was one of the most wildest ideas that scientists discovered, which is that the universe is not infinite. As yeah. big as it is, it has a limit. And if science is really the pursuit and study of the universe as we know it, then by nature, it's going to have fine, discernible, and determinable limits. That is such a great point. That's wild. Yeah. That should really sober it up for people. It should. It should. It don't. <laughs> and it won't. <laughs> but you're right. Well, we'll it go should. back. <laughs> We'll go back to this. We've we've said twice now that the claim that science alone can explain reality is is self-refuting. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to unpack that for a minute for somebody that, that might not understand what that means. So self-refuting statement is one that in the if it's true, it can't be true. So for instance, my brother is an only child. <laughs> well, that's not gonna work. Right. It doesn't. It refutes itself because if I have a brother, then clearly neither one of us is an only child. So if it is true, then it cannot be true. It's the, it's the same with science alone, you know, explains the universe or everything that can be known can be proven by science or what have you, because these are philosophic claims. So if in fact the, the claim is true, 
then because the claim is not scientific, then it can't be proven true. Exactly. So it refutes itself. Exactly. So I just thought I'd take a minute because sometimes that stuff can be a little, a little heady. No, I think that's a good call to make. I also think it's funny that that's a philosophical term. Which one? Self-refuting. Oh, yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just it's fascinating. I, I think we're just hitting on all cylinders and revealing where these things they don't add up. It 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 um it hits against our reality. It does, and not just against the reality, but like based off of what we went through for epistemology, like this thinking, scientism, is the lowest tier. Like you, mm. it, it's hard to get beneath the ridiculousness of this particular ideology. And I think it's a, a blatant attempt to get us to ignore and disregard things that we actually experience. Okay, how it, so? Well, if we buy into scientism that there's nothing except what can be purchased or what can be purchased, what can be proven by science, it allows us to dumb ourselves down. Okay. Because we have this, uh, what it, it would be a type of false reality overlay. That as we try to explain things, we're doing it in a box. And the box that they give us is science and science alone. And we don't even have the tools to navigate outside of that. Interesting. So you were saying before that there's, a, you know, you listed a couple things that we actually experience that are non-scientific, right? Mm -hmm. or, or not proved by science. So I put together... A little list, but uh, you mentioned f philosophy, aesthetics. We have free will, consciousness, morality, mathematics, and logic. Like all these things are a part of our daily existence. You forgot emotions. Emotions. Yep, that too. I mean, those bad boys run the world. They shouldn't. At all, but they do. But they're, out, they're out here doing it. I know, yeah. right? Um, they're not sci scientifically provable, so they want us to believe that they're just relative or invented in the mind of individuals. Yeah, but the mind as well. Yeah. I mean, we have a brain, but the mind is more philosophic. Right. It falls apart at almost every single turn. Yeah. And I think one of, the, one of the ways that this protects the elites, because I think it's intentional, it's a blatant intentional dumbing down, but conspiracy theories – they're scoffed at, right? Uh, they can't be scientifically proven. That's that that's that word. We don't like that's a trigger phrase around here. What conspiracy theories? Ah yeah. yeah. <laughs> it burns us. It, right. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what was that? Was that Smeagol? Uh yeah, yeah. Wasn't when he had it? the like elven rope around his neck. Yeah. He's just like, it burns us. That's right. Every time I hear conspiracy theories, I'm like, it burns us. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> that and fact checkers. Yeah. Those, those are two yeah. terms like it uh, burns us. I'm making that but, one of our our one of our uh sound effects. Okay, cool. That I'm I am all about it. <laughs> but it's interesting because no matter how much we know is actually wrong with a given situation, mm -hmm. the answer can never be a conspiracy theory because it doesn't fit within the epistemological framework they give us. You just feel or it, it might make the most sense, but your sense doesn't fit a scientific, scientifically proven truth. So conspiracy theories can't be real if you're functioning in this, this framework that they give us. That's actually pretty clever. 
It is. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty what, clever what, tactic. Yeah, because once they put it out there, then, I mean, there's almost no maintenance. We do it ourselves. Meanwhile, the whole uh, January 6th perpetrators are being charged with conspiracy. Ain't that wild? Mm-hmm. And they, they expect us to hold both of these ideas at the same time, causing cognitive dissonance. Exactly. And this reinforces their scientific their scientism because if we live in a state of of cognitive dissonance, then we don't even know when something is not right because we're already dissonant. I see what you mean because it, it would take <laughs> being balanced in order to not have that measure of dissonance, which would be which would form a certain sense, a certain measure of biasness, right? You, you wouldn't right. be able to be objective at that point. Yeah, I, I get it. Like if you're always off balance, you're not going to know that there's a different way or that, you know, things aren't the way that they should be because you're always off balance. Right. Another thing that we've talked about, which is an issue with holding science is the, the number one um, or the high, the, uh, the authority on truth is that there's actually necessary philosophic presuppositions required to even practice science. Uh, every time I hear you start with that language, I get excited because I remember the first time you hit me with that. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, no, that's some good stuff right there. I, I, I love it. Um, and I mean, to your credit, I wouldn't know any of this stuff if you hadn't pointed, pointed me in the right direction. That's what I do. A good general says point and go. I stay. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to read that book. So this is a little bit like what we were talking about with revelationism that the revelation of God being real and the universe coming, like all of that is philosophic and it's necessary uh, prerequisites in order to be able to practice science. Mm -hmm. So I found this nice mashup. Uh, Frank Turek on his site, cross-examined, posted 10 of the necessary presuppositions, philosophic presuppositions required to even practice science. So one could say that these are necessary to be in place before discovery, before scientific discovery can even occur. Right. These 10. So there's no way you can. Right. So proving or disproving scientifically doesn't even come into play because you have to have these first. Fascinating. Okay. What are they? What are they? So one is the existence of a theory, independent external world. So that we actually have a world outside of us that exists outside of independent theory. So a lot of this stuff we know, but we don't think about. Okay. So that would mean that you could come up with a theory about the way that the world is. And then when you measure that against the world outside of you, it could be different. But this is a necessary philosophic component in order to even test theories. Because if you don't know this or presume this, because it's a presupposition, then you can't see if your independent theory measures up against the external world because you don't have that concept in your mind. Okay. Does that make sense? No, I follow. Two, the orderly nature of the external world. The fact that if we test something now, that it'll be the same when we test it again, and then when we test it again, the fact that it's even the repeatability of science is a philosophic concept. Okay. Otherwise, we just have to test it in the moment and be like, well, this is how it is now. It might be different in three seconds. You couldn't build so that, technology. You couldn't. In that world. Now you, you'd be messed up. So the, that philosophy have to be, has to be in place. 
the knowability of the external world. So it has to be there, but it also has to be a, you have to be able to know it. Okay. Cause we know that there's things outside of us that we don't know, but you have to have the philosophy, the philosophic presupposition that this external world that does exist can be known. So it's worth trying to figure it out. Right. I mean, we know that there are known knowns and known unknowns. <laughs> right. We also know that there are unknown unknowns. So mm-hmm. do we know that we don't know? And sometimes there are unknown knowns. Except that we don't know that we do know? Yeah. You and I actually, I, it's it's funny, <laughs> but you and I actually had that conversation for a long time. We did. And I thought you were so insane. <laughs> and so I think one day I came back and was like, I didn't know I could, I knew this. And you were like, right. oh, skip, skip me, skip me. I was like, oh! I, I need, can you rewind that back, please? I was like, what? What did I say? You were like, you, did, you didn't know that you knew this. So this was something you knew, but you didn't know that you knew it. I was like, I feel like a trap is being sprung right now. Hey, I learned from the best. That's funny. <laughs> so we have to, uh, the existence of truth. Mm. The whole conversation is of, is there absolute truth is a philosophic conversation. Okay. So you have to land on there is truth, which is what the scientific method helps to uncover. Okay. That's interesting. The laws of logic. You wouldn't be able to practice science without the laws of logic because you have to be able to identify things. You'd have to recognize whether or not they're in contradiction and you would have to exclude the middle that things can't kind of be something. And your mind would have to be of an orderly nature so that you could appreciate the laws of logic. Else you would have a mind that was in disorder and you would produce illogical findings. This is true. It also goes to the next one. Or were you reading the next one? Mm-mm. I was not. <laughs> Number six, the reliability of our cognitive and sensory faculties to serve as truth gatherers and as a source of justified beliefs in our intellectual environment. And as I said earlier, I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> no, it's your timing has been perfect. Like you're just coming in right as it's the next thing that we're going to talk about is hysterical to me. Yeah, that, that's wild. But people that study this actually come away with the fact that it is it is a miracle that our world is designed in such a way that we can actually perceive it. Um, what is that? There, there was something about not the I think it's the, the fact that we live in the Goldilocks zone, our planet, where uh-huh. we're actually positioned in the Milky Way is in such a place that we actually have relatively unrestricted view of the sky, which allows us to discover. That's interesting. Yeah. If we were in a different place, we might not be able to even discern as much as we have about our reality. But we're almost positioned in a place that we can observe larger parts of the sky than we could if we were in a different part of the, of the galaxy. Okay. I was thinking of it from an information perspective. I'm not saying you're wrong. That's fascinating. I hadn't actually considered, I had heard of the Goldilocks zone, but I hadn't considered it from a perspective of discovery, which is interesting. Gotcha. It's kind of turning my brain inside out. It did the same for me when they threw it at me. I was like, "Ah, I hadn't thought about that. That's why. (laughs) Uh, I was thinking of it, the fact that the way that we interpret information and the way that the world expresses, the, the way that, our universe expresses information is the same. 
so you could have a uh, you could have a um, uh, a disc player like a CD player in your computer mm-hmm. that maybe only reads MP3s. Okay, and put a or let's say you have a DVD player and you put a Blu-ray in it, it won't read it. Right. So both things can exist. Both things can even work together. You can insert a Blu-ray into a DVD player and it'll spin it up and you can spit it out. It does all the things that it's supposed to, but the actual information is not compatible. Hmm. So they don't communicate to one another. So God constructed us in such a way and constructed the universe in such a way that we can actually interpret and learn and discover the universe that we live in. That's interesting. Yeah. And I have to say part of that as a next step would be the, the hope that by discovering our universe, we could understand more about our creator. Yeah. Because scripture says that the heavens declare his glory is handiwork. It does say that. It also says that the immutable characteristics of God are evident in what he's made. So the mm-hmm. intention would have been by discovering more of the creation, we learn more about its creator and hopefully right. we're able to de- apply those attributes to our relationship with him. Not that we come away from it and somehow use the creation to disprove the existence <laughs> of the creator. Like you have to be on a whole nother level of insanity to walk away with that. And I say that with all due respect. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that sarcastically. I really mean that in every other place in our life, in our existence, just by sheer numbers, Christopher, if we were to just take the mean average, nothing else exists, technologically speaking, that does not have a creator in our world. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Not our house, not our car, not the computer we're talking through, not the iPads or phones that we're on, not the, the cars that we drive. Not the workplaces, even the places of work we go to have a builder. Right. But somehow we (laughs) came up with this grandiose idea that outside of all evidence to the contrary, our existence is the only thing that didn't require a creator. (laughs) It makes no sense. Really? And I'm not trying to be um, denigrating to people uh, who, who have a hold to a different view, like people who, who embrace the idea of evolution. Because I mean, there are uh-huh. Christians who embrace the idea, but I think they do so at their own peril because it really attacks the fundamental components of Christianity in some very unique ways, and it actually brings very specific charges against God himself. But that's another story for another time. Right. I think it's just a wild idea that somehow we can hold so passionately and so vehemently to this notion that our entire world came out almost almost like a a, a tornado going through a junkyard produces a 747 it's never mm-hmm. happened but we're gonna assume it really does just in this one instance mm-hmm. right because even if i use it as an excuse for anything else nobody else would buy it right I couldn't throw a cup of coffee and hit you upside the head and you'd be like, what happened? That thing just materialized and under the laws of physics, it accelerated (laughs) on its own and somehow randomly found its trajectory to interfere with your current path of travel, making an instantaneous connection with your cranium. I didn't do it. This just, (laughs) it just happened, man. Hey, we live in a chaotic world. 
since we were talking about law earlier, there's a term they use reasonable doubt. Exactly. It's one of the burdens and of, uh, of or I think it's a burden of proof. Like there's a different standard of proof. Reasonable doubt is one. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyone, it is beyond reasonable doubt that we're just here by accident. I mean, clearly. Even from a mathematics perspective. Yeah. Statistically speaking. Was it Sir Roger Penrose? Oh, you love this said, statistic. If I can remember it, but he said something along the lines that the statistical pr- probability for the Big Bang to create life as we know it at, and by accident would be one, um, one part in 10 to the power of 10 to the power of 127. Oh, so it was 123. Bef- okay. What, was it 123? That's what I had. 127 but- or 123. I can't, I can't remember. But either way, this is the first time I ever encountered the fact that exponents can have exponents is by trying to justify that we came here by accident. Right. And the, the what was even funnier to me was the idea that there is a scientific, there is a mathematic number that is ascribed to when something is improbable. Right. And it's and much it's one, smaller. It is. It's one part. If you have one chance in 10 to the 50th. Okay. So wh- that that's when something is considered improbable. And right. this number for the Big Bang actually producing life as we know it, complex carbon life forms in the organized structure of, of the universe is a much smaller number that goes beyond the limitation of that. That's just, it's ridiculous to, to assume just mathematically. And yet right. here we are pushing it as a mainstream idea. Google actually says that if there, if you have less of a chance than one in 10 to the 50th, then it's considered beyond the realm of rational argument. Right. So by definition, any argument suggesting that we are here outside of intelligent creation or, you know, is beyond the realm of rational argument. But we're going to be browbeat into thinking that it's just a philosophic idea that we've bought mm-hmm. into. And that is so not true. It's not. And the the crazy thing about it is we did the um, we bought it, brought up the Prussian model for schooling mm-hmm. uh, in some of our first episodes, right? Maybe this first or second, I can't remember. And it presents a really interesting case, and it, and it's one thing to talk about it; it, it's another thing to to understand it if that makes sense. And when the, one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode scientism is because it really helped me understand what this Prussian educational system is doing. Okay. Explain. So one of the things that Prussian schooling does is it separates into three classes, upper class, middle class, and lower class. So the upper class would be your like half a percent of the population. It'd be your elites, right? Empowered, critical thinking, active literacy, persuasive language, um, all of that kind of stuff. And then you have your middle class, which only makes up about 5% of the population. And they would be focused on numeracy, uh, passive literacy, technical skills. So it'd be like your engineers, your architects, doctors, lawyers, those people. And they get a particular schooling. So your upper class gets educated with specific things. Your middle class gets educated with specific things. And then your lower class would be about 95% of the population. And that focus was on obedience, cooperation, and correct attitudes along with rudiments of literacy and myths of history. 
It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to really look at the world that we live in and the fact that no nobody in that upper 5% or even half a percent that's telling us that we need to believe that science explains everything, none of them actually believe that science explains everything. <laughs> I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So it really, like, it gave me this this depth of, like, experiential understanding of this whole system that they're really saying you believe this because I'm going to go and do something completely different. It's crazy. That's a completely wild idea to come to terms with. Yeah. You know, I knew that they actually, and I think we talked about this before in another episode. I knew that we, that they actually had divided our, our education into different tiers, but, but not just along the Prussian educational model, but the idea okay. that that elites and their their progeny were trained with the idea of quantum physics being a a bona fide reality, but the lay were trained with the idea that physics was all there was. And yes, just, I remember you saying that. Yeah, I, I think it was uh, Dr. Ted Brower that that hipped us to that idea. Um, but the reality, the, the quantifiable distinctive differences between accepting a framework that limits itself to physics versus a framework that limits, limits itself to quantum physics is like the difference between a drop of water and a tub and a drop of water and an ocean. Right. Like hugely different. Ideas. Like billions and trillions. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I probably would say it's more like hundreds and trillions. Okay. But because it, it's such a quantifiably different space to operate in. Right. And it opens up the world to to a whole plethora of new possibilities. The fact that they are training them their, themselves and their progeny to accept this larger reality, but at the same time training us and our kin to accept a lesser reality really helps form a stronger mechanism of control because our minds are not being fully developed to appreciate the real world around us. Right. You're absolutely right. And that's scary. It's sobering. I'm sorry. You're correct. It's very sobering. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, in a lot of ways it's infuriating. Yeah. To, to realize that they're pushing science and science alone, knowing it's self-refuting, knowing it's logically inconsistent, knowing that not a single superpower in the entirety of human history believed it, and that nobody at the top of societal change in the world today believes it. It's literally just something they want the lower class to believe. Like, we need to recognize this. Exactly. And it makes us too stupid to if, – if we really hold on to that, it makes us too ignorant – to do anything about what's actually going on. It's one of the ways they're re-engineering society. The Prussian educational system, John Dewey, progressive education, all that. They want to re-engineer society. And this is a great way to, this is how they're doing it. Dude, that reminds me though of this quote by Bertrand Russell about the educational system, uh, where he said, it's to be expected that education should aim at destroying free will so that after pupils have left school, they shall be incapable throughout the rest of their lives of thinking or acting otherwise than as their schoolmaster should have wished. 
That's that's sobering. Yeah, yeah, that that is alarming to the hilt. Because the reality is, once we go through that, once someone is put through that system, the Prussian educational base compulsory educational system, they will develop lifelong incapacitating tendencies that will basically make them the thought slaves of their their schoolmasters, not necessarily their teachers that they went through school with, but those who control the school system and the curriculum that's fed to us for over 15,000 hours of education. That's the intent to make us, like you were saying, incapable of fighting back. Yeah, it's terrible. This is why they designed that system. Yeah, it is. Specifically so that we would be brainwashed and incapable of rising up and resisting the, 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 um, the mental assault that we were going to consistently be put under, not just in school, but out and about in society as a whole, the constant brainwashing, the, the neurolinguistic programming, the spiritual indoctrination, all the stuff that's made our, our existence and made the things that we come in contact with toxic. I mean, it's made it radioactive. You know, it's radioactive, toxic to the degree that we can't hold on to these ideas even a little bit without suffering fallout. And we won't be able to do anything. Right. And one of these ideas is that science explains the universe. Exactly. It's just not true. I mean, science does do well to explain a lot about the universe. It just isn't well suited to explain everything about the universe. And I think we would do well to keep that distinction in mind. Right. So, um... John Dewey's progressive educational model is designed to re-engineer society. And I think it was Barrett Coles. Is that how you say his last name? Coles? Her last name. Her last name. Yeah. My mistake. No problem. This this is important. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, in her uh, book, Brave New School, she talks about the the old paradigm or the old religion and what it's moving into. And it's really interesting. And I, I think... Uh, after looking at it, we can recognize that it hinges that one of the first steps and primary steps in re-engineering the society is by um, dethroning the Bible as having authority on reality and elevating science. It opens the door to all kinds of stuff. So if we look at the old religion, and this is a, a, a three-step process. So old religion, no religion, and then moving into the re-engineered society of the new religion. So the old one says that the Bible reveals reality, like we talked about, revelationism, to no religion, science explains reality, and that moves us to feelings and experience to find reality. Does it sound like we're getting close to that? No, I, I don't feel like that at all. <laughs> you don't feel like I don't. That at all. Matter of fact, I feel well, like if you that feel it, then it must be true. <laughs> That's funny. Old religion says that God is transcendent and personal. Moving into no religion, that God is non-existent and is a crutch to the new religion, that uh, a pantheistic God or goddess or force is present in all things. It's kind of scary how much we're even moving past this this scientism um, ideology into this new religion. Mm-hmm. But but you need that first step. So God created the earth and the old religion. Moved to no religion, the earth evolved by random chance into the new religion that the earth evolves by its own or cosmic power. Yeah. I wonder if that um, 
cosmic power is what the Pope was saying that we had to repent to for our, our, our climate crimes. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and I, I think it's even more crazy that this whole idea of a cosmic power fits within the conventional, not conventional, but the, the popular idea of the force. Yes. That's a very popular idea. Equating mm-hmm. the idea of God to some sort of cosmic force. Yeah. That's that's an episode for another day, my friend. Yeah, yeah, because you know Star Wars <laughs> is built on that whole idea. Yeah, it hurts me. It cuts me real deep to I, realize the damage that that might have done. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry. Anyway. We'll get into it in a whole other episode. <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into it. So old religion says trusting God is the key to success. The no religion puts us in trusting self is the key to success. Moving us into trusting one's inner God self is the key to success. Now, that's interesting, man, because the first one, trusting God is the key to success, is really a biblical idea. But trusting the self is the key to success. And then the next one, uh, that next idea you said, those are both New Age ideas. They are. In fact, I really want to say most of what you've gone over with the change is really New Age. It really is. I think we just did an episode on the New Age. we did. Yeah. It was dif- it was difficult cuz I was preparing some of the notes at the same time. Okay. And it was hard to keep them separate in my mind because I bet. they overlapped so much. I was like this is crazy. Yeah, but that's really our reality. The the new age yeah. and all this other stuff it really does overlap because it's a, a a concentric part of the satanic control matrix. Right. Which are really right. overlapping agendas, overlapping ideas, overlapping um, mechanisms of control that produce a totalitarian system. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The last one on, on this list is the old religion says good and evil are incompatible. The no religion says that good and evil are relative. The new religion says joining good and evil brings wholeness. That's nice. That sounds very much so like Sabatini. Yeah. What's the, what's the dude's or, first name? Or, I keep forgetting his name. Um, Sabatain Zidi, right? Sabatain Zidi, yeah. yeah. It sounds like him or um, Elvis Levi. That's what I was going to say in the Baphomet. Yeah. That this is the perfect society. Is all of these things are, are joined together to bring wholeness and balance. Exactly. It's It's not an accident that they're so similar. It seems it's, it's, it seems like it, but it really isn't. It's right. really intentional it's, because it's a it is by it's design. A, it is the design is to sequentially and progressively move people subtly forward towards this this religion that completely obfuscates Yahweh, that completely throws God out, and allows for these things to come into its place, and and the practitioners of that fully embrace it. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. And to get humanity to do it, whether it realizes it or not. Right. They want to put us, push us into this new paradigm. Exactly. So where the old paradigm, we would lean on biblical truth. The new paradigm puts us at earth-centered myths. Old paradigm, we rely on facts. The new paradigm, we just rely on experience and feelings. We have observation that's replaced with imagination. We replace logic with speculation and feelings. We replace science with politicized pseudoscience. I mean, the last couple of years, we've seen that to a degree we never imagined. 
I know what you're talking about. When they say trust the science, they're really saying trust the politicized pseudoscience. Which really you could you could re refashion as political correctness. Yeah. Yeah. They move us from reality to fantasy, from factual history to functional or multicultural studies, from objective thinking to subjective thinking. No, and no subjective feelings. Feelings. Oh, you're right, right. My mistake. From objective thinking to subjective feelings. 100%. And individual responsibility to group thinking. Like I'm done. I want to throw my hands up. I feel like this is a throw complete breakdown. Like, oh my God, yo, this is a complete breakdown of everything we're experiencing right now. Uh huh. It's what, but I mean, what she's doing, and they're doing a great job. They really are. It's it's scary. And what was she printed this in in ninety six? Yes, I think that's when that book was published. Okay, yeah. So yeah, she knew what she was talking about. That all this stuff was coming because it reads like it's happening today. Right. Social emotional learning. The multicultural studies, Black Lives Matter, identity politics, transgenderism. I mean, all that stuff is exactly what she just laid out. And the first step in achieving these is to, like I said, dethrone the Bible's uh, authority and limit thinking to just science alone. But just for the lay, just for the proletariat. Right. Because no one in charge believes it. We we went back to Egypt. We believe it, hook, line, and sinker. Not mm-hmm. you and me, but you know the average person you talk to them, they're hitting you with this. Don't you believe the science? Other day, right. I was in a conversation with someone. I think we were talking about, of all things, COVID. You know, hot button issue. Mm-hmm. Asked me a question. I said, "Nope." And I think they asked me if I if I had taken a vaccine. I said, "Absolutely not." I said, "Yo, Jason, Jason, man, Jason, you don't believe the science? You don't trust it?" I sat there dumbfounded for a minute. Just mouth was a gate. <laughs> I was like, they really played that card with me. I yeah. got to figure out how do I swing at this? Let me call Christopher. <laughs> it, it was, it was like funny. a surreal moment. I was like, I really got the question. Like, I don't believe science. Like somehow yeah. I am an intellectual invalid who can't, make any sort of rational thought because I disagree in this one particular aspect with 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 mainstream thinking. It's crazy. They right. put you it in was a group. designed to push me back in line. Mm-hmm. Like quickly, I wanted to be like, oh no, I agree with the science. Then it took me a moment, dude, we haven't talked about this, but it took me a moment to realize I had just encountered the second the second step in brainwashing. Jamming? Okay. Yes. The three stages of brainwashing are desensitization, uh, jamming, and then conversion. So right. the first thing you want to do is you want to normalize something to the point that, that an audience becomes desensitized to it. And then the second thing you want to do is anybody who resists that's left over, you want to find a way to classify their resistance in association to something they despise. Right. So if they, if, as an example, if they resist mainstream thinking and let's say they're Christian, you would call them something like either Satanist or um, a Nazi or you're closed minded or you're coming across bigoted or some, you got some sort of phobia against this. And nobody mm-hmm. wants to be identified that way. So the idea is that you will self correct, that you will get off the train of resisting the narrative and will come in line with the established point. 
And right. so believe the science or the question that was put to me, you don't believe the science is a variation of that technique because nobody wants to be associated with being a non-science, like a science denier or not scientifically yeah, yeah. minded. So the mm-hmm. quick approach would be, yes, I believe the science. Of course. Well, then scientists say this is okay. So why aren't you on board? Well, I, I don't know. I should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, yo, they just tried to jam me. No pun intended. That's crazy. Right? And I had to respond back with, with due force. <laughs> I bet you did. I, I did. I, I went right back at him and let him know, like, hey, that's not going to get me. Right? I, I have mm-hmm. problems not with science. I have problems with scientists. I have problems with right. the fact that science is a developing understanding of our reality, which means there has to be opportunities for it to be wrong. It cannot be always right all the time. Else there's no there's no way for us to learn. Right. Learning necessitates error so mm-hmm. that we can correct from it and gain a proper and more accurate understanding of our reality. And telling me that I should just believe the science no matter what it what it is means that I should I should also forget the times that scientists said one thing and come back and said, well, we weren't right. Yeah. Or we actually lied about this. We knew better. But we lied about this. That's even worse that we fabricated findings. Yeah. We wanted this to be true. But it happens all the time. It does. Humans are faulty. Yes. (laughs) I was really thinking, and humans are jerks at times, Mm -hmm. right? They will lie. They will spin the truth. They, somebody once said, when I'm arguing with my wife, I will correct a Wikipedia article to be right. I was like, I wow. love it, but that also shows our our our, uh, our corruption, mm-hmm. immaturity. It, it does, and it shows our 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 bend to want to be right, even if we got to lie about something official. So it just matches what we think. Mm-hmm. Is that course, person a politician? Say what? I said, is that person a politician? What the one that was talking <laughs> to me? Yeah. Oh no, 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 the one that said that when they argue with their wife, they'll even oh, that's funny. An I article. don't, I don't remember. I don't think so. <laughs> I think it was a comedian, but I was like, that's great. Seems fitting. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, like it's just we we went all the way back to, to ancient um, civilizations, right? You know, we did Egypt. We did the Anakathira mechanism to, to prove this point. And one way that they try to sell it to us is that we've outgrown the religion, right? Like maybe we needed it for a time. But now we don't. We've evolved past it. That's what I was going to say. You know, religion is now a vestige carryover from a bygone era. And we no longer need it. We've gone beyond its requirements. And we can let it go. Okay. I I could be on board with that. But I've got to ask some questions. Okay. I got it. Let's go to CERN. Oh, what you want to go to CERN for? If if religion and supernatural thought is so outdated, why are we doing mock human sacrifices? I'm saying, why is there a God to Shiva outside of the property? Exactly. Why was the property established in what ancient people believed to be the gateway to hell? Mm-hmm. And I- why at that gateway are the leading scientists saying, yes, we're trying to communicate with non-physical beings on the other side of this Divide. They're not even supposed to exist. Right. And what's this divide? Is this a physical divide? 
Or is this a <laughs> metaphysical divide? What, what is this? Yeah, I got questions. I do. The mocking and sacrifice quest- is a huge part. <laughs> it's a huge one. Yeah. Right. I got questions to political leaders that, that we know have graduated secret societies that are just entrenched in spiritualism and occultism, which is all supernatural. Facts. What was the point of all that if, if you don't need it? You clearly needed it to get into the political position you're in now. Right. I mean, not that this is any credit to anyone anywhere, but Biden claims to be a Catholic. So the leader of one of the most powerful nations in the world claims to be a religious individual. That's something. Like, it's it's not adding up. I was going to say, if it's not important, why do we have separation of it from church and state? Yeah. I mean, if, especially if it's inconsequential, if it's a small, stupid idea, then there should no, no, there should be no reason to really separate it from the state. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, I can believe in the Easter Bunny. It's not going to be something that should disqualify me from ruling, you know, running for office. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's not adding up. I think we we go to the United Nations and say, why do we need a meditation room? Or we could ask, why is there great, what is it, convocation? Why is that happening? The great invocation. Invocation. The great invocation. Yeah, why is that happening multiple times a day? Right. And were there even uh, the triangles? People paired up in, it wouldn't be paired up in threes, but triplets grouped in threes scattered all over the world to pray the great invocation. Right. Why do we need that if religion and supernatural thought is just a vestige idea of a bygone era? Why would you have a publishing company inside your headquarters that is actually named after supposedly a non-existent mythical religious being? You know, why, yeah. why would we have Lucifer, Lucius Trading Company? Right. Which is a derivative for, for, the, for those people that are nitpickers. Lucius is a derivative of Lucifer. Right, because it began as Lucifer Publishing Company. It did. I, I don't understand why the UN should even be doing business with that sort of entity. Just you know, they don't want to be in any way. Uh, what do they call that? Guilt by association. They don't want to mm-hmm. be marred by being with another religious organization such as Lucifer Publishing. Right. It's it's ridiculous. And New Ageism. We just did an episode on New Ageism. Right saturates think tanks, secret societies, government organizations, all of it. And it's based off of supernatural understanding and paving the way for the replacement Christ to come. Exactly. Stop telling me that science is the only thing that we're allowed to believe. If that was the case, then there should be no pentagrams on our flag. And there should not be a strategically unfinished pentagram built into the structure of Washington, D.C. And Washington, D.C. should not have been strategically positioned between Virginia and Maryland, nor should it have been mm-hmm. built on a supposed <laughs> ley line, as well as the other first five cities that were established in the United States. None of all of those pointing towards Stonehenge. Right. There shouldn't be any of this religious establishment or religious alignment going on in our country. But there is. More importantly, our country should not have been dedicated to all pagan gods. <laughs> yeah. 
But they don't oh, exist. Oh, that's, that's a big one. So right. They don't, they don't exist, you know? So this is a scientific country built on the morals and laurels of science and science alone. <laughs> I'm not believing it. Oh, Christopher, you just refuse to believe. Let the science lead you. No. So no. You, don't believe, you don't believe science? Science says. Science can say what it wants. Oh. Well. I'm past that. There is so much more to the world than what science can tell me. I mean, science is all there is. The Smithsonian is going to be upset. Because <laughs> apparently they are into some things that go well beyond just scientific establishment alone. Oh, yeah. Dark, sure. I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> CERN better shut down. Right. I'm told that there are actually clearance levels above top secret. One of those being cosmic. What do you need that for? There's a there's a cosmic Hey, listen, I said I'm told, you know, we have people to listen to this. The NSA records this stuff. All right. I don't know for sure. I don't I don't have security clearances, but I've been okay. told that there are. There was a paper I read. I tried to find it. And it got scrubbed from the Internet. Don't know how. Interesting. But it actually listed. It was a PDF that listed the fact that there are additional clearance levels above top secret. That's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, why? None of, none of this stuff matters. You know, none of this extraterrestrial stuff happens, right? There aren't really beings that are able to transgress the limitations of physics that exist. You know, there aren't people that are being taken out and, and taken out of their houses, leaving their body. Matter of fact, if none of this exists, you know, we can't even have things like astral projection. Right. Tarot cards. Ouija boards. Milton Bradley's just lying to us. That's crazy. It's crazy. But I mean, the, the lies in this indoctrination are so persuasive. It really takes effort and we have to keep reminding ourselves and each other not to get swept into this. Right. Why is Halloween so popular? Yeah. Very few things are scientific about Halloween. And we love that. That I mean, we as a culture. Right. No, I got you. I love got you. that whole celebration that time of year. Why? Why are we? Why do we teach? I gotta stop. Why do we teach Santa Claus? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you could go all day, bro. You could, but I'm really just trying to get people to wake up to the fact, like, look around you at how much of our conventional world is built on the idea of, of things that exist that are not explained by science. Yeah, and the fact that we actively accept and in some cases endorse and promote these ideas. You can't yeah. also gravitate to an idea that science is all there is. It's just not the smart position. It's not, not at all. And I, I think if we miss painting that whole picture, because it's such a pervasive idea that you really have to build that whole framework. And like we were saying, you could go all night. But I think it's important to to point and be like, look, this is how it really is. Because if we're not willing to to build all that framework, then we're prob probably just going to sound like science-hating fanatics. And all people are going to end up hearing is this. And that right there is the sound of a person that has been fully indoctrinated with the ideas of conventional wisdom and pop culture. Right? They have bought into the mainstream narrative. And, that's what it sounds like when they graduate. Oh yeah, yeah. That that that's the uh, that's the alma mater of the graduate mainstream narrative. <laughs> oh, that's funny. 
right? But, but okay, here, here's the real thing, all right? We're really dealing with this issue of does science have ultimate authority on truth and reality? Or is it actually being weaponized against us to constrict our thinking and dumb us down as a public? They want to dumb us down, for sure. Absolutely. I don't even know why we have to ask the question. But it is <laughs> one that's worth considering. They're actively trying to dumb us down from the idiot tube to changes in our food and diet that reduce our cognitive capacity to a well-orchestrated and structured educational system that completely detunes our mind from what we were designed to do and plugging us into a occupational oriented world that just makes us cogs in a machine that doesn't even push creativity on almost every front. We're being brainwashed, right? And mm -hmm. I'm not sure that we can remove this ideology, but we definitely have to defend ourselves against it. Absolutely. We have to be active in that. And it doesn't matter how well round, how well rounded your, your Kansas city community college may have been because the uncomfortable truth is you are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora, ladies and gentlemen. Respect that fact every second of every day. Out there beyond that fence, every living thing that crawls, flies, or squats in the mud wants to kill you and eat your eyes for jujubes. If you wish to survive, you need to cultivate a strong mental attitude. You've got to obey the rules. I love that. It doesn't get old. It doesn't. I just watched the second uh, Avatar. Okay, how is it? He, he does a, a a little flashback to this. He goes, okay. you're not on Pandora anymore. And I was like, oh, it's a classic. It's a classic, <laughs> baby. He doesn't go through the whole thing, oh, but I was great. like, I love it. I love it. That's awesome. It really calls your mind back to sharp focus that you're in a war in a hostile environment. And you have beings that are actively targeting you and want to kill you, want to feed off of your carcass and will, won't even feel bad. We'll take great pleasure in destroying you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we have to engage. We have to follow have to. these rules of engagement. Mm -hmm. And the first one is know your war doctrine. We've got to know what the Bible says. And that's how we develop a strong mental aptitude. One of the things scripture tells us, you were you mentioned earlier, Jason. Me? Is that we what? Me? What I say? Yeah, you. That sounds incriminating. That we are without excuse. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Paul tells us in Romans 1:20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. It's beautiful. That's revelationism right there. Explains the whole epistemology. But scripture tells us or warns us that people will believe the doctrines of demons. And we've used this scripture before, but I, I took it a little bit further because something really jumped out to me. What was that? First Timothy 4, 1 through 2. It says, the spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon their faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Here's what jumped out. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consequences have been, whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. They come through hypocritical liars. Everyone that's telling us to trust the science 
doesn't trust the science. I was like, that's crazy. Dude, dude, that's a million dollar point. Million dollars. Yeah, I was like, oh, I never even noticed that before. Me neither. Scripture anticipates that deceit is really the name of the game, and it's not getting any better. Matthew 24, 22 through 25 says, In those days, had it not been cut short, none would survive. This is talking about the, the end times. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says, go look for the Messiah here or there, don't believe him. For false messiahs, because that's the new age, and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. It's the name of the game from the beginning when Eve was talking to the serpent all the way to the end. The goal is deceit. And we, we cannot forget that. Because it's our responsibility to not be deceived. Exactly. That's not a haphazard idea. You know, we have to actually intentionally put forth the work to not be deceived. Yeah. And one of the benefits of doing that is that we will gain ground. Right? Which takes us right into rule number two is when you gain ground, you don't cede any of it back to the enemy. You don't give it back. You can't give it up. Yeah. Right? You 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 mm-hmm. took it. You fought blood, sweat, and tears. Keep it. Don't let him. That's what scripture's talking about. Don't let someone deceive you with vain philosophy. Don't let him take that ground back because he, he got you with some some slick words, with some cleverly mm-hmm. designed ruse. You know, the fact that he he hits you with some jamming rhetoric. Oh, I got one for him. I'm gonna ask him like, what you don't believe in science? That's gonna trip him up. They ain't gonna know what to say back to that. <laughs> you don't let them do that. In you fact, can't. scripture gives you, you know, there's nothing better. You know, when you were a kid, I, I don't know if your parents did this, but at, when I was a kid, anytime there was going to be a conflict, for the most part, my my parents were like, you, you go and you tell the teacher, right? Okay. Hated that. Hated it. But there were rare what? moments where... If I was going to get into a fight or, or if my safety, safety was going to be jeopardized or something of that nature, I was given authorization to go upside that person's head. It will deal okay. with ramifications later, right? Mm-hmm. It, was, it was ironic. Every time I was given that, nothing happened. I never got into a fight. <laughs> person will leave me alone, everything. I was like, come on, I've got authorization today. I'm good. And they, they would right. be in their right mind. Any other time they'd be harassing me. <laughs> Bullying me, all all sorts of stuff like that. But it's interesting Mm -hmm. here. We're given in scripture authorization to attack our bullies. Right? It's Mm -hmm. it's a a, a three-stage counteroffensive approach that we're allowed to do. Stage number one, you expose what the enemy is doing. Ephesians 5.11 gives us that authorization. You You don't have fellowship of what you find out. You don't partake in it but you expose it. You shed light on it because your enemy tries to do things in the dark. So he's counting mm-hmm. on stealth and being hidden as a means of cover for not being discovered. So the first thing you do is you uncover and you show what's happening. Secondly, you, you resist it. You know, James five, seven, you subject yourself to the authority of scripture and use that authority to resist the devil. But the end part of that is resist the devil. Don't just try to pray it away. You have to actively engage. And then the third stage was the best one. Tear that crap that he's built down. Destroy yes. it. Mm-hmm. 
You're, you have every right to destroy it, even if the people don't like it. Even people say you're mean or you're rude or whatever. I didn't say be nice. It said destroy it. Yep. You put the scripture spotlight on there. You identify where the enemy is at. You resist his efforts, and then you destroy it. What's within your purview of responsibility, that's what you focus on you destroy. And if we did that in the aggregate as followers of Christ with the blood covenant, of, of, of Jesus Christ himself empowering us and backing us up. There's not a lot that we couldn't accomplish, but unfortunately many of us are too scared or too apathetic to engage in this process. Yeah. Cause it takes work. It does. Don't want to take the time to research and build up our arsenal. Don't want to take the time to engage and deal with the hostility of people that are asleep and part of this matrix and don't want to actually engage and do the effort to learn how to skillfully engage these, these ideas with skillful opposition. It's just easier to sit on the sideline or play Xbox or watch right. a movie or drink some wine or whatever it is that we escape from. So we don't have to mm-hmm. deal with the fact that this stuff is happening. Somebody once said that the reason that our world has gotten as bad as it, as it has is because the church has refused to stand up and do something. And we don't have to let that be said on our watch. Maybe the church of old did that, but we could be the church today. And we can actively engage these things. And it's just crazy that we're giving the authorization to actually hit the enemy square in the nose. And many of us don't want to. Right. And unlike your story, the enemy doesn't have his wits about him today. Right. He's going all out. He's being crazy. He's still bullying. He's still running his mouth. Right. Let's take it to him. He's running around like a roaring lion. But you were mm-hmm. giving a 30 out six. You know, yep. some of us is carrying around a 50 cal. Sight that bad boy in. Pull the trigger. Get that pink yeah. mist going. That's probably a little too graphic for most people. But <laughs> I'm saying, you know, it's, it's one thing to be rash and be destructive in your force. It's another thing to have your force directed for the good of others. Violence is not necessarily bad, but I think violence toward the innocent that creates harm to those that are not deserving of it is a bad thing. But even worse than violence is a person that's capable of defending others that refuses to. Yeah. That's the worst. Yeah. That's no good. We were put on this planet partially to be a policing agent, to be a, a counteractive agent within a corrupt society. So why don't we get busy counteracting instead of acting like cowards? I like that. That should be a shirt. What, what would it say? We should be busy counteracting, not acting like cowards. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, we have it was to a clever. Yeah, it could yeah. work, though. It could yeah. walk. Well, we'll see. We'll, like we'll see that. what we can come up with. Okay. All right. Well, I think this takes us to rule three. Pray like it's all up to God and work like it's all up to us. Yes. What prayers would you recommend? Prayers? I'd recommend that I think we need discernment. For one, pray that God gives us discernment because we are constantly bombarded with propaganda and we're not always sure, you know, how to interpret or um, file or look through any of that. So God giving us discernment will be huge there. Pray for access to information that refutes their lies. You know, that's why we put the the links and resources together. That's why we're doing the show to try to help people and, and arm them against all the lies that are coming down. Cause it's nonstop. I mean, we only do this once a week. They, 
There's way more propaganda than once a week propaganda. I wish it was that easy. Right, right. But you're 100% on that. I think we should also pray against the spirits because those of us that are in a blood covenant with the Most High have authority over the works of the enemy. So we should pray against the spirits that are working to deceive us personally and from the political rhetoric and the unbiblical thoughts and ideas that they push our way. Agreed. And as far as work, we really got to, 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 to lean into educating ourselves, you know, through, through all this stuff, we've got to know more. And that's, that's going to be the tool to work against it. You know, learning the laws of logic is a great start because there's only three of them, the law of identity, the law of non-contradiction and the law of excluded middle. All right. Break those down for people who may not know what that is. Okay. Okay. So the law of identity states that in order for something to be something, it can't be something else. So for you to be Jason, you can't be Christopher as well. Okay. You have to be Jason and you have to be different from Christopher in order to be Jason. Yeah. All right. There goes the trans movement. What's the next law? (laughs) The next one of the law of non-contradiction is you can't be something and not be something at the same time. There goes a trans movement again. What's, <laughs> what's the third one? The excluded middle. You can't kind of be something. You can't kind of I'm be done. Jason. I'm done. That's the entire <laughs> trans movement in a nutshell. It is. That it's completely you illogical based on the right, laws you, of logic. You don't have to be a biologist. All you have to know is know your way around the laws of logic. And even though I explained them, it took me a long time to really be able to apply them. So just even even if you can quote me, if you've got a rock solid memory and you can quote everything I just said, it might not mean that you really understand the content. So in order to apply it, in order to filter things through it, it's really important to understand it. So look at it, play with it a little bit, you know, explore the ideas, practice something that you and I used to do. And I kind of forgot about this is we used to send each other articles and be like, what what laws of logic is this violating? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. either laws laws of logic or logical fallacies, which is which is the the same thing. Exactly. You go, where is this violating the laws of logic? And we just send them back and forth. And sometimes we'd be like, I don't know, I can't figure it out. And other times we'd be like, here, here, and here. And you just got to practice with it a little bit. Yep, it's like a muscle. You you end up building the ability to to do it better the more you use it. Yeah, yeah. And we also need to put time in looking at right thinking. Like it's one thing to be able to use the laws of logic to um, show where things are wrong, but we have to put just as much effort into realizing what things are right and accurate as well. Exactly. So you've got to do both because it is possible for things to be logical and still be wrong. Logic is just the, the first test for truth. But if you're not ready to do all that, one thing that you can do that really helps is share the show because we're trying to instill these things and help people out and arm people. So maybe somebody hasn't heard of us and they might be able to appreciate a show like this. If you share the show and want to take it to the next step, you can always join our Patreon. We would appreciate it. You can get to know us a little more at just operate or operation at orppodcast.com because there we've got some, some articles and we'll post our episodes and, and things like that there. If you get a good feel for us and want to join, we have uh, uh, three different tiers. So you can uh, get it on the ground level 
and be a tier one operator with Coverfire. It's five bucks a month. It'll get you all the links and resources we use to make an episode and all of our episodes in their full length version on Patreon or there. You can get in on the second level, provide Overwatch as a tier two operator for $7 a month. That gives you everything in tier one plus access to the actual notes that we used while running the episode. And a lot of times, I think this one, we came pretty close to notes, but there's, there's been a few doozies the past couple weeks that have just chocked full of all kinds of information that never made it on the show. Yeah, they're right. So that's, that, that can be a treasure trove. And then if you really want to get in on it, you can jump in at top level, bring the rain is a tier three operator for 10 bucks a month, gets you everything in tiers one and two, as well as an opportunity to talk to Jason and I and other patrons once a month on our zoom call. Yes. We've got our next one coming up here in about four days, April 30th, right? Yep. Okay. That'll be a good one. So there's still time to get your quote unquote tickets to get your pass. Yes, right. That's right. (laughs) But here's the last thing that you can do. Remind yourself of what scripture tells us, which is we are never alone and we're not fighting alone. God has promised to never leave us, and we have a community of believers all over the world and a loving God who intervenes on our behalf. One day, our institutions will be improving us, not dumbing us down. One day, the whole system will be perfected under a loving God. One day, we will know not just truths, but God himself and all his glory. But until then, we are deployed to this dystopian rock by our Savior-in-Chief, the very one that's commissioned us on a seesaw. That's right. We're on a combat search and rescue mission here, people. And be advised, the hostages we're after are likely to be hostile towards us. But you know what? We still gotta go get them. Now our task and order is simple. We're to search for and rescue anyone that can be sympathetic to Christ, but is currently held hostage under Satan's deception. And make no mistake, we will be operating in a hostile environment. But the rules of engagement are clear. Listen to me. If you take fire, I expect you to give fire. And I need you to keep your head on a swivel out there. You stay frosty. You stay faithful. And above all, you stay in the fight. That means do not give up. Because we're counting on you. You ain't alone out there. We're fighting right next to you. And we'll see you out there again fighting on the front line. 10-4. 